Alice Onlin and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. new and old and thanks for tuning in to the security token show episode 51 we are your hosts kyle sondland and with me as always is herwin konings and this week we will be discussing decentralized finance which is a hot subject these days for our main topic which will be later in the show for those of you who are just tuning in for the first time it's important that we remind you of our our normal programming and this is not an interview podcast. This is actually a weekly industry news digest, which kicks off with our Companies of the Week segment, where we pick our favorite companies making the biggest moves in the space, followed by Herwig's industry news update, the latest in security tokens and trading activity from me, and then finally into our main topic discussion, which this week, as I said, is about yield farming using DeFi. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Herwig, who's your Company of the Week for episode 51? Well, Kyle, it's great to be here. And my company of the week is an absolute poster child for the crowdfunding industry. So I want to give a huge congratulations to Popcom and founder Don Dixon for successfully completing a second regulation crowdfunding campaign that was once again fully subscribed. So, you know, this time, Kyle, the difference is that Popcom did a security token offering and its new 1.3 million put in by investors will be exchanged for equity tokens. And as far as I know, this is the first fully subscribed Reg CF STO to date. So that's huge. Really, really incredible. I mean, as the article puts it, quote, in a mere 47 days, Popcom did what no female founder in global history has ever done. They raised 1.3 million in capital exclusively from crowdfunding investors, end quote. And by the way, folks, from over 4,000 investors. I mean, that's a lot of people. For those of you who don't know, by the way, Popcom is a next generation vending machine company. That is, they're growing like crazy, but at the same time, why I love them is they are proving to the world that equity crowdfunding is something that works. It's just beyond fantastic, Kyle. I wish we had honestly learned about this STO sooner. We'll be sure to track the Popcom STO updates on the show in the future, and once again, Awesome job to Popcom and Don Dixon. You are overwhelmingly deserving my company of the week. Congratulations to the entire team over there at Popcom. That is fantastic. The second campaign that they've successfully accomplished is great. I think there's a couple questions for me on this one that we'd love to, to hear more. We're going to definitely do some more research on. The first one is, is how they raised that 1.3 because I think we have covered in the past that the Reg CF limit is that 1.07 million. So I'm not sure exactly how they were able to either raise additional capital through an outside exemption or, or what that process looked like. Then on top of that, it'll be very, very interesting because it's a security token. We do know that there are some regulations on, on I think it's regulation 12G or section 12G rather, which limits the amount of shareholders to 2000. So there's 4,000 investors. I'm gonna be very interested to see how this pans out over time. They've got a couple things that they're gonna to need to iron out, but 
awesome job for raising the money and it's exciting that we can start to face these problems for real. They are trailblazing. That's what they're doing. Absolutely. Trailblazing for sure. So that's fantastic. And Herlick, I'm just going to transition right into my company of the week. Tell us. My company this week is Arca. And so this week, investment manager Arca has officially launched the Arca U.S. Treasury Fund. We covered the initial announcement on episode 33 of the podcast, but now it's officially live. This fund is a basket of U.S. Treasuries, cash, cash equivalents, investment grade, fixed income securities, and unrated assets that ARCA has determined are of comparable quality. ARCA wins my company of the week because they have been approved by the SEC to issue tokenized shares of the funds that will be sold to accredited investors leveraging the TokenSoft platform. ARCA's fund will, reduce, will produce regular interest payments by investing at least 80% of the assets into a portfolio of short-term treasury securities, and it aims to have a stable net asset value across the lifetime of the fund. Again, they're focusing on stability here. The NAV will be struck at a dollar at 4 p.m. today as of Monday, July 6th, which, at which point they're going to issue 100 million units of R-Coin, which will become available. From the, the president of ARCA Capital Management, Gerald David, he said, quote, shareholders can directly transfer R-Coin using blockchain technology. Other features of blockchain are being used for fund operations, such as freezing and replacing tokens for investors that have lost their public keys and using smart contracts on the blockchain to enforce transferability of R-Coin to only whitelisted ETH addresses. This is a really exciting project and is essentially exactly what we had hoped Libra would be when it was announced. So congratulations to Arca and Tokensoft for launching a high quality institutional financial product. I cannot wait to see how this thing performs. Awesome choice, Kyle. A lot of huge wins in there. SEC approval. They're working with Tokensoft to create a really great platform. And uh, you know, it's it's a big deal when you see uh, the idea of you know custody issues and things like that being addressed right from the get-go with blockchain. It, it tells me that you know Gerald Davis really understands what they're getting into with security tokens. Really great stuff. Absolutely. So that concludes that. Let's get right into the news, are we? Absolutely. But before I do, I do want to remind everyone listening that all of the articles that Kyle and I discuss on the show, they're sourced from stomarket.com slash news. And they're also available for your reference in the about description of the podcast itself, or of course, on the Security Token Show Medium blog. And kicking off this quarter with a fundraising bang is BBVA-backed Solaris Bank, which successfully raised 60 million euros. So the platform provides digital banking services as well as custodial services, including for key clients like Bitbond, which conducted a major security token offering in 2019, as well as working with the Deutsche Borse, which is a major German exchange with several plays focused on digital assets. So congratulations to Solaris Bank for bucking the trend recently and raising a boatload of money. And when I say trend, I'm referring to, of course, the drop in overall financings in the space. So the Security Token Advisors Q2 Infrastructure Investment Report came out yesterday, and it's what you pretty much expect. Transactions are down to all-time lows in the space's nascent history so far, with Security Token Advisors team only identifying about $6 million worth of investments, less than one-tenth of what Solaris Bank just single-handedly raised. So again, impressive. What's worse though is that that 5 million is actually from T0, which had originally announced 
a $400 million offering from the same firm, but has since been revised 95% and honestly should have probably closed years ago. I know. So, you know, we did see, though, crowdfunding platform Republic get very active on the M&A side, acquiring both FIG and Compound Real Estate to expand into new verticals. Check out the report to learn more if you're interested. And Ravencoin had an emergency announcement last week. And honestly, those are also not very good when token protocols are, are, are saying them. So especially if they refer to a technical or operational problem, something that would then dramatically affect the price of the underlying token, right? So in this case, the security token blockchain protocol Ravencoin announced that they had been compromised and that there were hackers stealing roughly 1.5% of newly minted Ravencoins and proceeding to dump the coins on exchanges immediately afterwards. So specifically, the CryptoScope team and developers of Solus Explorer identified a vulnerability allowing the hackers to mint additional Raven coins, RVN coins, beyond the 5,000 per mineable block. So the extra blocks ultimately translated to an additional 1.5% beyond the original supply in RVN coins uh, being minted. And you know, simply put, the hackers didn't steal anyone's Raven coins, but managed to create more of them without anyone noticing. So the Raven coin community will now determine how to solve for this problem to bring the supply back down to the original 21 million, while officials work with law enforcement to identify the criminals. All in all, you know, a leak in the ship that was plugged in, and it seems like the community and lead developer Tron Black handled it quite well, at least considering from a token price perspective, which has retained its performance over the last three months despite the announcement. And moving on to industry announcements, Tokensoft was busy yet again, this time entering the hot market of Japan with a new strategic partnership with Hashport to roll out custodial services and other financial services adapted for Japanese regulation. Hashport founder Seihaku Yoshida says, quote, I'm very pleased to have this alliance with Tokensoft, and I believe that Tokensoft's US security token technology and know-how can be put to use in the Japanese market. We will make every effort to develop a security token market blooming in Japan with their partnership. So, you know, looks like Securitize, who's very active there, is gonna start feeling some heat from its US competitor there as well. And Vertalo had a big announcement that will be relevant to our main topic for today. Vertalo is officially launching a platform for DeFi assets. We're, we're going to get into how the platform works later in the episode, but the message here is that Vertalo will be offering collateralization and staking tools within the DeFi community so that the real world assets powered by Vertalo can be used within DeFi. And Vertalo will also be what I can only best describe offering a securitization service allowing you to pool DeFi assets into a portfolio represented by a security token, something that Kyle and I have discussed in meetings before as a type of product that could bring a lot of interest into security tokens. So kudos to the Vertalo team for being the first security token issuance platform to get their feet wet in DeFi outside, of course, of Realty using a decentralized exchange to create liquidity for their security token, something that Vertalo's announcement actually did not touch on. So maybe we'll hear more on that. Anyway, definitely. We'll be discussing this more later. And the LCX, one of the Liechtenstein's leading digital asset exchanges, announced last week a partnership with Lunar Crush to bring their Block Explorer social media analytics data and signal tools to the LCX exchange platform. Uh, you know, and of course, for those of you who don't know, LCX, of course, will be hosting security tokens. 
and think basically that great analytics tools and data insights for these assets will be on the LCX platform. So it sounds like an edge, honestly, that not many exchanges have brought up before and something that I do see as critical for the user experience. So I'm looking forward to what this new product integration will look like as Lunar Crush gets involved. And the Polymath blog also made a post shedding light on the PolyX token, a new token that will power the PolyMesh blockchain which of course Polymath is developing as a native blockchain purposely built for security tokens from the ground up. And the blockchain, by the way, they just entered its testnet mode a few weeks ago. And now we have some more information about why users will want to trade in their Poly tokens for PolyX tokens. In short, PolyX holders can participate in securing the PolyMesh blockchain by becoming a staker. And they can also participate in the governance of PolyMesh by proposing and voting on PolyMesh improvement proposals. This makes obviously a lot of sense given the direction of proof of stake blockchains. You know, they're currently, by the way, looking for testers and use cases on the, the PolyMesh blockchain. If you're interested, the mainnet is slated for a 2021 launch. Also, you know, by the way, you can learn more about purpose-built security blockchains in episode 29. And moving into some resources and opinion articles, we're gonna start off with a great list of Canadian companies involved in the security token space, which was released by securities.io on Canada Day to boot. The article briefly touches on all the movers and shakers in the country, which are Blockstation, TokenGX, which has its FreedomX platform, Canada Stable Corp, and the Bank of Canada. But I do have to say it's not a complete list because you're missing iComply, the issuance platform, and you've got Exponential with, with his digital asset fund, and, and I do know Polymath is a big presence up there among others that I'm certainly missing. Canada is a great uh, active industry. There's a lot happening directly north of the US border there. We aim to keep a close eye ourselves. And in Switzerland, there is new legislation coming for blockchain, which is covered in an article featuring Professor Rolf H. Weber, chair of the working group for regulatory issues at the Swiss Blockchain Federation. So Professor Weber said, quote, in my opinion, the most important changes are in company and securities law. Once implemented, will enable owners to register and transfer security tokens within DEL without legal ramifications. Essentially, the new law should dramatically help the security token industry thrive in the region. I think this is great news for everybody, even around the world. So looking forward to those being implemented. And an op-ed by Dean Steinbeck, a US corporate lawyer focused on data privacy and technology came out on Cointelegraph last week saying pretty much exactly what we told you last week on the show. This great confirms it because Kyle and I are not attorneys, but basically Dean summarizes it up as, as the CFTC chairman saying Ripple isn't a security. Uh, you know, is not really meaningful because he is retired from the CFTC and has ties to Ripple, the company, as he now practices corporate law. Furthermore, Dean lines out why the Howey test is the real important factor in the case of Ripple and the sale of its XRP may have actually indeed violated securities laws. The class action lawsuits are far from over against Ripple on this topic and the, you know, the outcome could be major where we might actually find out the implications of this case could define security tokens, something you can learn more about in the main topic of episode 11. And this next article is particularly interesting, Kyle. News has come out that the real estate developer EMAR, E-M-A-A-R, plans to tokenize their real estate assets. And the reason that that's a 
big deal is because the same firm counts the world's tallest building, the Barj Khalifa, as one of its assets, and you betcha, they're planning to tokenize it. So they'll be using IBM's Hyperledger fabric and they plan to tokenize many of their other real estate assets as well. I think that's exciting if those tokens do end up opening up to the world. Kyle will definitely have the scoop for you if they do. I don't know if you've actually seen the Burj Khalifa in real life, but it is, it's a real tall building, man. It's pretty crazy when you see it in person. It's huge. I'd so love to own a little piece of it. Absolutely. And I do finally want to end on giving a little shout out here to Adam Bloomberg from Interaccess for kicking off a YouTube series around the tokenization of real world assets. His first introductory video features the examples of tokenization for real estate. And by the way, I think a very thorough example uh, and also for invoices. And they'll be launching more videos covering the blockchain technology, the industry players, and more use cases, all for tokenizing real-world assets. So looking forward to it, Adam. Great work, Interaxis. And that's all the industry news that I have for you, wonderful listeners. Obviously, we, we continue to see the space move forward. And with that, Kyle, I also want to take a pause and have you tell us a little bit more about the upcoming industry virtual events. Thank you, Herwig. Great work there, man. The first event that we have here is Rebooting Venture Capitalism in a Post-COVID-19 World. So with this event, you can learn how emerging VC funds are increasing access to capital and liquidity by digitizing tangible assets with blockchain technology. Discover how the tokenization of tangible assets is transforming the way that investors are allocating funds to venture capital by correlating their investment in a liquid asset by playing the role of secured collateral. So this is going to be hosted by Soya Capital on Thursday, July 16th at 2 or 12.30, excuse me, 12.30 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That is July 16th. So check that one out if you're interested. And on top of that, we have the Singapore Blockchain Week. I'm going to go over this one pretty quick because we have covered it in quite a few episodes now. But Singapore Blockchain Week is, is really popular. Traditionally, they're transforming that into a virtual summit for 2020 hosted by the Blockchain Association of Singapore and co-organized by NextChange Group. And so it's going to cover a lot of blockchain stuff, but it will have its own section on STOs and asset tokenization, specifically focusing on tackling the changes of security tokens for issuance and distribution. So definitely one to check out as well. Both of those are going to be via Zoom. I think that the first one may be free. I know that the second one, Singapore Blockchain Week, is the $25 registration for, I think, a three-day event. Glad to see we continue to see more and more Zoom conferences come out around the topic. And as you've said, we've covered it many times, but there should be a lot of great announcements that come out of that Singapore Blockchain Week. It should be a good one. But anyway, Kyle, tell us. I'm sure the rest of our listeners are dying to hear as well. What's the latest in security token news for the updates and offerings? Yeah, so we got some, some new updates here. The first one, I'm just going to highlight what I covered in my company of the week. We do have the Arca coin. So this is going, or the R coin rather. And so this is actually going to be that, that token that is backed by treasury bonds and other fixed income assets. It is issued by Tokensoft, who also has their equity tokenized and liquid. So both of these will be added to security token market as soon as possible. We're currently sorting out some API stuff there. Moving on, we have Vertalo announces the date for their 200 million STO offerings on Tezos. And this is in quarter three. So Vertalo has been working with investment platform Dealbox to set up the Dealbox marketplace platform, which is set to launch at the end of July. Dealbox has integrated eight of their 22 clients into Vertalo and plans to have all 22 finalized by the middle of the third quarter in 2020. 
as soon as those do have investor access or are able to see what those look like on secondary markets, you better believe you're going to hear it here first. Vertalo and Dealbox did announce that they aim to tokenize the 22 equity offerings on the Tezos blockchain, representing roughly $200 million in aggregate deal flow. That's a big deal. We've been a long time coming on that one. I'm excited to see and, and hopefully truly see all 22 clients get finalized by the middle of the third quarter. Absolutely. Product, 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 man. That's what we care about. Moving on to Elevated Returns, Stephanie DeBayetz, the president of Elevated Returns, which is the firm behind the St. Regis Aspen Resort tokenization, teased the firm's newest STO, saying on Twitter that they are launching a commercial real estate asset in August. Regarding the terms, he continued, saying it will be an $80 million asset with a 6% return over five years. Perhaps it's a fixed income instrument. Only time will tell. I do know that you'll be the one telling us, Kyle. The final STL I have for you this week is a small one by Enegra. Enegra is a deep sea mining and alternative energy company, and they caught my eye with a tiny blurb in an opinion article written by the managing director, Matthew Avery, where he discusses the moral implications of mining and the environmental impact it can have on our planet. What caught my eye was at the very bottom of this long article, Matthew notes that, quote, Enegra Group Limited is a commodity trading company focused on resources in Southeast Asia. Equity in Enegra has been tokenized via the EGX security token. For equities or for inquiries related to the purchase, please contact support at enegragroup.com. So I have followed up to them and I'll let you know what I hear from them. But until then, it is a great reminder that the tokenization space is so much larger than any of us realize. There's likely many issuers all around the world that are flying under the radar doing amazing things. And this is just one great discovery and example of that. So just like the others, you better believe it. I'll keep you updated as soon as I can. It's also the first Monday of the month. So you know what that means? Yes, I'm referring to the security token market report that was just published for the month of June. All right. Jonah Shulman and I compile a secondary trading report each month and our newest is now live. Here's some of my favorite stats. We're going to go with the total security token market cap as of the close of the month of June was 145 million with a market cap monthly change of about 45% increase from what we saw the month prior. Wow. The total 2020, June 2020 trading volume was about 1.9 million US dollars. And again, the total volume monthly change was 86% increase from the month of May to June. We now have 18 tokens tracked, which was three new this month. All those three were realty real estate properties. As we go to the marketplace breakdown, we start with T0, who is our market cap and volume leader at $110.6 million in market cap on T0 and about $1.7 million in trading volume. Open Finances comes in second place with about $28 million in market cap, but only about $5,000 in volume across the month. And then we have Uniswap, which has about a $3.8 million market cap and a 98 thousand dollar volume which i think is about double what they did last month just off the top of my head you can fact check that if you wanted to by going through all of our reports finally the best performing security token this month should not come as a surprise if you've been listening to the podcast but it's overstock which is up 96 percent in the month of june and it's only going to continue as we get into the current market update but it, it closed june at 19 dollars and 60 cents up 96 percent the worst performing security token was Protos that was down about 54%, closing at 46 cents. And I think there was really only one trade of the month for that one. 
Wow, Kyle, the market is really moving. It's really growing. The percentages are clear. We continue to see that growth into the coming months. And I think that's going to be the case. And it just keeps going, man. The total market cap today, as of July 6th close, is $180 million, Woo! which is up 12% from last week's 130 The average security token is up about 5.8% this week. T-Zero and Overstock continue their domination with Overstock up 37% this week and T-Zero up 21%. This does mark the first week that we've seen T-Zero actually follow Overstock's strong gains and both are now soaring. Overstock is now up to over $26 per share from its close at $7.50 at the initial airdrop and T-Zero is up from $1.20 to $1.50. On top of that, Overstock has had over $1 million US dollars in trading volume in just the last five trading days, Herwig, which is That's absolutely awesome. crazy. Other wow. tokens like real estate have had a strong bounce back this week as well. All nine real estate properties were green this week with an average increase of about 5% for them. Many are also seeing higher prices today than were ever reached in June. So it's a great start of the month for real estate, but an even better start for Overstock, which is gonna smash through the trading records that they already set last week. Incredible, Kyle, where we have an infrastructure report that's not so great. We clearly have a booming market that is built on top of it. That is what happens after $850 million has been invested into the infrastructure. Glad to see it's now coming to life. Absolutely. And that concludes the market update. I think it's a good time to transition into our main topic. We're talking DeFi and yield farming. And we're picking today's episode to discuss this concept of decentralized finance or DeFi because the space has really exploded in short order. I mean, with an emergence really in 2019 spawning from the rise of decentralized exchanges and stable coins, DeFi really only took off when lending protocols started becoming a reliable new source of alpha after the ICO market more or less dried up. And we're going to take a look at three different news articles that came out last week to explain DeFi. But if you want to get a little primer on this topic, I highly recommend watching the main topic for episode 42, Collateralized Lending with Crypto Assets, which by the way, everyone, for those of you who don't know, all of these main topics are now available separately from the podcast itself, exclusively on YouTube. So you can check out our full library of over 50 episodes of main topics without needing to listen to all of the other segments of the show with each episode. Yeah, Herwig, I think it's long overdue that we finally talk about DeFi as, as a subject. I think we should really break down how this space has evolved and, and really what this term of yield farming is because it is pretty funny to say. <laughs> that, that it is, and, and we should start at the basics. DeFi, as with any term in blockchain, has a loose meaning, so I'll describe you know what I think it means first. I personally would boil it down to using blockchain and financial technology to, to deliver financial services from loans to banking to insurance to investing without the middleman, which is usually the bank or an agent or a manager. And one could even go a step further that these DeFi applications need to be inherently decentralized so that the trust is in the smart contracts, not those middlemen. But I think we could probably make a whole main topic out of that debate alone. So Kyle, you tell me, do you agree with my definition? Tell our listeners what you might change or add to that. Yeah, you're totally right. I think that cutting out the middleman is a key here. We've covered that before, episode 44, about market making and how that can work without needing a centralized party. But DeFi is incredibly interesting because from what I've seen, the culture around DeFi has become just as poignant as the actual functionality itself. 
I define the DeFi movement as a transition to permissionless finance. Many of the DeFi community members believe that privacy is a key component as well. Personally, I'm definitely on board with the permissions piece. Anyone around the world should have access to an open financial system. In my eyes, a few main products do need to be available for anyone. Those would be a store of value, a transfer of value, and a line of credit. DeFi strives to achieve these things with tokenized products and smart contracts, which is why it's fascinating. Yeah, so let's get right into the biggest use case that is really making DeFi so relevant over the last several months. And that, of course, is lending and borrowing. So Kyle, can you please break down for us this concept as simply as possible? Maybe maybe just use Ethereum as you know the only currency in your example. Yeah, totally. So listeners, bear with me. Certainly, if you have any questions about what we cover, feel free to reach out to us. We, we love having these conversations. But when we're talking about decentralized lending, you've got protocols like Maker or Compound, which facilitate peer-to-peer -peer loans. These organizations, known as DAOs, which stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, are governed by the, governed by the community and share all the profits made in the lending process to the community by leveraging smart contracts. Essentially, the lending works by allowing someone to collateralize their current assets for additional leverage from the market. If I have, say, 100 Ethereum in my account, I could lock up a portion of it, say 50, into the protocol and receive a loan from that protocol. The amount I receive back for my 50 depends on the lending history that I have with the protocol in addition to the overall liquidity that the system has. To determine the amount that I will receive, I'm given a collateral factor that will allow me to easily calculate the amount that I would receive for every one ETH deposited into the system. Understandably, this would be from a zero to one scale and it's almost never at one. You pretty much always have to over collateralize your loan, which means you have to give 50 and maybe get back 35 just to give a little bit of cushion for the system. The amount I am lent does is a significant portion lower. And so for example, I might get 50% as a first time user. And so in this example, that means that I would place 50 in my locked savings account and would receive 25 ETH in a liquid account that I could spend how I see fit. In this way, my loan is over collateralized so that the system has that cushion in case of a price or in case the price of my locked Ethereum drops below my owned amount so that the position could be liquidated and no one gets hurt. So essentially what that means is that I'm giving more so that in the case that anything happens and that price decreases or the value rather decreases, then at some point it would reach a one to one ratio and my position would be closed, they would take the Ethereum that I had locked, and then we'd be even. The books would be cleared, my loan would be forgiven because I've got my 25, it took its 25, and unfortunately, that additional cushion that I had was lost in the price depreciation. In addition, I'm actually rewarded for locking up my 50 ETH because that 50 is then turned around and lent to other users who have also staked this asset. In this way, I not only received the 25 ETH upfront, but I'm actually paid a consistent fixed rate for lending my assets as well. I believe it's around five to 10%, so I think it's like seven or eight maybe. This return is paid in the native token of the protocol, in this case, COMP or MKR tokens, which are not only a store of value, but also allow me to govern the protocol by voting using my tokens. In this way, I am both a debtor and a lender at the same time, which kind of makes that decentralized peer-to-peer -peer system. And the only cost to me are the gas fees of the transaction to power those underlying smart contracts. No middleman to squeeze any percentage out of it. Gotcha, gotcha. That's a great breakdown. So going back to that whole decentralized component, 
The result is lending protocols have come out creating smart contract solutions to enable borrowing, lending, and staking, and have created their own tokens, usually described as these governance tokens, to incentivize users on both sides. That's what I'm hearing. And this term, by the way, staking is really just referring to an incentive to hold a token, meaning that you will earn more as a reward from holding or locking your tokens as opposed to using them. This creates all kinds of effects, mostly liquidity benefits because it ensures a level of stability and sometimes even appetite for buying more when staking is related to not just how long you hold it, but how much you hold as well. So now today we've got all kinds of lending protocols that have been released, enabling cryptocurrency holders to either borrow against, lend out, or stake their different digital assets. And the results have been fascinating. For example, the BAT token, the BAT token, which is the native advertising token that is used in the Brave privacy browser, at one point actually became more traded in volume than Ether itself due to demand for it in the DeFi community. So specifically what happened was the compound lending protocol offered really great returns for the BAT token, and apparently more than 500 million worth of BAT was borrowed on the protocol in June alone. The protocol itself is worth over 1.5 billion according to the comp token value. And by the way, that's only less than a month old too. So, I mean, that is explosive growth. It has absolutely exploded, hasn't it, Herwig? How do I put this simply to our users? DeFi has over $2 billion worth of assets being borrowed against now, and the market cap for the underlying token protocols has now reached over 7 billion. We're starting to get those ICO-like growth figures and behavior in the DeFi space, and it's got a lot of people excited. I mean, it's almost getting scary from a certain perspective, too. There was another article that came out that explained how there's three times more DAI being lent out than there's actually available in total supply. And so I think we're going to take a crack at trying to explain how that works. With a synthetic product, we see double-counting accounting principles. And so as you can imagine, with... Many of these startups, they, they don't really follow the generally accounted accounting principles. And so when these assets are locked up and debt is issued, that synthetic debt is counted as net assets, despite the fact that it technically should be canceled out by the collateralized amount. This process has been replicated multiple times, leading to a significant swell in the outstanding currency. Hold on, Kyle. Let me, let me try to break that down. So in essence, someone borrows, let's call it 100 million DAI for say 100 million USDC coins in return as collateral. They then deposit the 100 million DAI they just received to get say a lending return on the BAT tokens that is a better yield than of course the USDC coins that they have. And that also means that the 100 million DAI can be lent out again by the protocol, right? Starting the process all over again as the rates then change behind different underlying tokens, the yield chasers you know, redeposit and move to the better rate and the process starts all over again, hence this new term described as yield farming. So while on the surface it doesn't seem like a big deal that the die is borrowed three times out, it's just the one significant risk factor in programmatic liquidation. I'm not exactly sure how the value is calculated for these lending protocols because it's very complicated, but the main risk factor is that if I put in my 100 ETH of a different token, like the BAT token, and the price of BAT drops quickly, or in the case where the, the yield dries up and it's no longer exciting for someone to actually farm that coin, if you will, we could then see mass liquidation caused by the protocol as it, it pulls out of a lot of these contracts. 
in the event that this happens, we then see bank run style hysterias as the protocol can't really handle the outflow of capital in the same way that it can handle new deposits, right? Because you're staking this currency to get your returns. If you want to quick pull it out, that's not the point. They're paying you to keep it in. But if they can't keep you to keep your cash in, it can cause some serious problems. So I hope that to account for this, the protocols rebalance their portfolios so that they're not over leveraged in any one particular asset. Like for example, if they have all of their, if they have all the value in quotes stacked in BAT tokens, but that's staked for let's say a certain amount of length of time, they could then in theory OTC a significant portion of those BAT tokens into something with more stable value or value so that in the event that that BAT has a, a crunch or a price decrease, they have their value outside of BAT. They can then rebuy and supply as someone wants to pull it back out. But they have to have that programmatically updating at all times to account for these potential risks. And quite frankly, I'm not exactly sure that's happening. That means great smart contracts. That means great community consensus and organization. Definitely all interesting things that power these lending protocols that are decentralized in, in essence. So, you know, the applications for DeFi, they are novel. But except, you know, there's this very real problem that Kyle's describing that it's entirely built on underlying artificial digital assets, which is why there's, you know, that very reason for concern that Kyle's bringing up. But it's also, to me, an opportunity. It's exactly what Vertala was referring to, to bring real-world assets into DeFi world, you know, to create more stable and valuable assets that create real consistent yield and can be used as reliable collateral. You know, we'll, we'll see how they end up succeeding. In the meantime, I expect many more projects around DeFi and security tokens to enter the market. I mean, we already did catch a glimpse of it with Centrifuge and, and tokenizing paper chain royalties and console fright invoices. And in fact, we ourselves are working on a, a stealth project over a security token capital that will be relevant to this trend as well. So, you know, for me, this is all truly, really exciting stuff. DeFi is creating a better illustration towards the use of blockchain and its benefits, in my opinion. And, you know, at the end of the day, I will say that's not perfect unless you have real world assets and security tokens as part of that mix, I think. Yeah, I also really like the direction it's all headed. But as you've alluded to, the theory behind a lot of this doesn't always depict reality. For example, many DeFi players push back against the idea of identifying investors and renounce anti-money laundering laws. But I, I feel that these rules are in for good reason, to prevent fraudulent schemes. Along the same vein, it's nearly impossible to predict market action because there are so many outside variables and the fact that the market doesn't act rationally, which you just can't predict. And so many of those things aren't accounted for which leaves room for programmatic layers to execute transactions swiftly and cheaply, but it's also very important to consistently monitor and make changes to our protocols as we see concerning metrics like the swelling of synthetic assets that we've covered in this episode. So it'll be very interesting to watch. We're gonna keep our eye on this. I'm sure the market will as well, but I think that's about it from us here at our main topic. As Herwig mentioned, we are uploading all of these main topics separately from the podcast as well on YouTube. So if you want to revisit a topic or just explore some of the topics while skipping maybe the, the news that isn't quite as relevant six months later, they're now all live on YouTube, all 50 episodes and 51, including this one. You can go check that out. I have no doubt, Kyle, that we will be seeing DeFi come up in the main topics again in the future. But with that, that's our show. And I want to thank everybody for listening. I hope to catch you tuning in next week on Tuesdays. Thanks for listening.